chapter 1, we're going to continue walking through uh, this book, and we're going to finish this chapter. Last week we looked at our eternal identity as those whom God has chosen as elect exiles, sanctified by the Holy Spirit for obedience to Christ. Through the strengthening of His blood, He has caused us to be born again. That is our identity. We're going to refer to that several times today. Today I want us to look at our eternal calling. What is it that God has called us to? What is it He's called us to do? What is it that He's called us to be? Peter begins that discussion here in verse number 13. So if you found 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of the word, I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, through verse 25. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and following. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who, through him, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Having purified your souls by the obedience, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless its reading. And that, Father, you would guide our instruction in it. That you would conform our hearts to yours. And you would conform our lives to be holy as Christ's is holy. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you all. Maybe one of the most difficult and probably one of the most frequent questions we ask as Christians is how do I know, how do I know the will of God for my life? 
How do I know what God wants me to do? Should I take this job? Should I date or marry this person? Should we buy this house? Should we move to this town? It seems every day there is a, a question that arises in our lives that leaves us wondering what the will of God is for us in this specific and this particular situation. Peter helps answer that question in this section of his letter. As with many New Testament writers, Peter opens with a deep and wonderful doctrinal theological truth. A truth that demonstrates the beauty, the majesty, the glory of God. As our eternal Savior, as our continual sanctifier, and as our resurrected Redeemer. It is in God's eternal nature that the elect are redeemed and the message of grace continues to be proclaimed from generation to generation beginning with the prophets and continuing through today. But how are we to live? What is God's will for my life? The answer to that is at the heart of Peter's letter, the whole letter, not just this section. But he gives us a succinct answer in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, when he says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Be holy. That is God's eternal will for you and me. Be holy. That is God's everyday will for you and me as well. Be holy. Peter didn't get this idea of being holy all on his own. Yes, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him as he writes this letter. But Peter turned himself to the inspired writings of the law to understand God's will for our lives. And specifically, he turned to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Listen to the words of, of Moses, the words of God through Moses to the law. Leviticus eleven forty four. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. Leviticus 11.45 For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2 Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Leviticus 20 verse 7 Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Verse 26, Leviticus 20, verse 26, You shall be holy to me, for I am the, for I, the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And Leviticus 21, 6, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food 
food offerings, the bread of God, therefore they shall be holy. Nearly the entire book of Leviticus is centered on the holiness of God and God's righteous laws concerning our holiness. They are couched in the purity laws concerning clean and unclean foods, who to marry and not marry, what to wear and not wear, and a whole bunch more. But the central point boils down to our eternal call to be holy. Our call to be like God created us to be. This is what Peter builds on. God is holy, so his will for us is to be holy as well. So, does that mean we have to keep all the Old Testament purity laws? <clears throat> well, no. What we have to do is both much simpler and much more costly. <clears throat> Peter writes in verses 17 and 19 how the law is kept for us, how it was kept on our behalf, and how we are ransomed from the unholiness of our lives and cleansed. Verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. You were ransomed by Jesus. It would be wise for us to remember here Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Paul, the Apostle Paul, continues to help us see how Christ is the fullness of the law kept and the requirements of the law accomplished. Romans 10, 4, Romans 10 verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And Galatians chapter 3 verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Beloved, by God's eternal grace, we are declared holy through Jesus' death and resurrection. That, if you will, at least for us, is the easy part. But we are still called to live a holy life. And for us, at least this is the costly part. Peter begins in this chapter and will continue throughout the whole letter 
giving us instructions on how to live a holy life. He's very practical and he's very specific on how we do this. In the remainder of this chapter, I want to highlight four of these that Peter begins to introduce. Four ways we live a holy life. Number one is a prepared and sober mind. A prepared and sober mind. Number two is that we live as obedient children of God. Obedient children of God. Three is that our souls are purified by the truth. Our souls are purified by the truth. And fourth is that we have a pure gospel love for one another. Let's look at each one. A prepared and sober mind. It says if you're going to be holy, have a prepared and sober mind. Now it would be easy to think that a prepared mind just means learning more information. It means reading more theology books and memorizing the Greek article charts. Well, that doesn't hurt. And I certainly will never discourage anyone from studying harder or learning more. But education, even biblical education, in and of itself, does not produce a prepared and sober mind. Peter tells us what does. Peter tells us what he means in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, here's how we do this. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm going to introduce a word to us. I introduced it to some of you this morning or earlier today in our, in our Bible study lesson. A prepared mind, a sober mind, is one that is set on the eschaton. What is the eschaton? The eschaton is the grace of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The final revelation of Jesus Christ. It's having our minds set on the end. It's, it's heaven. It's the final and eternal reward for those whom Peter has said were called according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctified in the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of His blood. The eschaton is what those whom He calls to be born again are hoping in, are looking for. A prepared and sober mind is one that lives and serves with eternity in the forefront of our thinking. And then the one whose actions are consistent with that end. The mark of a Christian man or woman living in exile in their own home, suffering because of their strange faith in Jesus Christ, is that their mind will be one of discernment. It'll be one of wisdom because we're looking at eternity. Paul tells us in a number of places to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He says to put on the mind of Christ. 
He tells us to take every thought captive to the glory of Christ. A Christian mind is one who discerns that every action, every single action of our lives either demonstrates or denies our hope in Christ. Beloved, what we think and the actions we perform as a result of our thinking has eternal consequences. This is why later Peter will say in 1 Peter 5.8, the apostle uses the same terminology. He says, be sober-minded. There's that word again. Be watchful. We'll study that one later. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have to have a sober mind. Beloved, we must learn to think and think biblically. We live in a suffering world. We live in a world where we as Christians are going to be wronged. This world is not going to play fair with Christians. We're going to be dismissed, mistrusted, misunderstood, mistreated. We are strange people with a strange message in a world that is an enemy of God. Our minds set on the eternal hope of Jesus Christ is our first and most important weapon to stand in this world. A mind saturated in Scripture. A mind humbled in prayer before Christ. A mind steeped in sound doctrine. A mind keen to detect false teaching and false teachers. That mind of Christ, set on Christ and hoping in eternity is the first resource we have to live a holy life. So, do you need to read more? Yep. Do we need to study more? Yep. Do we need to study languages and theology and church history? And, 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 and the answer to that is yes, yes, yes. But that is not the end. That is a means to the end. And the end is knowing Christ. It's loving Christ. It's standing in an awe-filled worship of Christ and hoping in His eternal return. When our minds are filled with the holiness of Christ, then our lives will follow with actions of holiness that have eternal consequences. Prepared and sober mind. Secondly, this chapter tells us if we want to live a holy life, we must become obedient children. Read verses 14 and 15 with me. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as, but as he who called you is holy, holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. I referred to several passages earlier from the book of, Levitic, of Leviticus. That book and all of the law of God is God's righteous requirements. That book and all of the law is God's righteous requirements if we were to try to earn salvation for ourselves. We'd have to keep every bit of it. We know that's impossible. James tells us if you broke one, you broke them all. Peter is not saying, and nowhere in the New Testament do we find, that we obey to be saved, or we work righteous and holy works to earn God's favor. Beloved, we are dead sinners, and the only hope for dead sinners is the grace of a living Jesus Christ. But listen, please. Because we have been born again, because we have been born again, all things of this world have passed away. Notice what Peter says here. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. <clears throat> we all have lives that we live before Christ. Some of them may have been pretty short because you got saved when you were young. But even then, most of us have spent a season, some of us who aren't quite that smart, it was a much longer than a season, walking outside of faithfulness and holiness. Peter says that holy children of God obey God and not the world. The world is passing. The lusts of the world are dying. There is no hope there. Now this does not mean that we reject the laws of the land. Indeed, Peter is going to tell us in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, he clearly says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. An anarchist mindset, an anarchist mindset and lifestyle is inconsistent with holiness. But the laws of the flesh, the laws of the passion of our former ignorance, notice that this is a mind that is ill-prepared and drunken as opposed to one that is prepared and sober. Those we are not to conform to any longer. Beloved, I ask us, what former ignorance are we hanging on to from a life that we've been redeemed from? Is it anger? Are we hanging on to lust? Is it bitterness? Is it fear? Is it fear of rejection? Is it some addiction? Is it some spirit of pride or self-preservation? Maybe you're hanging on to something that you keep telling yourself it's not that bad. Whatever it is, if we harbor the former ignorances, 
We cannot be obedient to God as children because we're still living like children of the world. Living as obedient children is the focus of the rest of this letter. And this is the definition of being holy that Peter gives us. He says, be holy as children obey their holy father. Peter's going to tell us later in this letter to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. He's going to tell us, I mentioned this a second ago, for the Lord's sake to be subject to every human Institution. He's going to tell wives to be subject to their husbands and husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. He's going to say, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And he's going to share dozens of other things. These are but a few of the instructions Peter gives us for living as obedient children, rejecting the former ignorance we once walked in and living holy, born again, Lives unto God our Father. <clears throat> Being born again means the old life. It no longer exists. It's buried with Christ. And you were raised to walk in newness of life. Beloved, leave the dead buried. And let's walk in obedience, longing and hoping for the grace of Christ when He returns to call us home. Prepared and sober minds. Obedient children. Next, Paul tells us to have our souls purified by the truth. Look at verses 22-3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart <clears throat> since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Beloved, it is impossible, it is impossible to exaggerate the importance and the value of the Word of God in our sanctification and our holiness in Christ toward God. To purify, by definition, is to remove impurities. You get a fly in your suit. To purify it, you could just remove the fly. But most of us are going to throw the whole bowl away. To purify our souls, we've been born again, which is discarding the entirety of our old, ignorant life. Now to live and breathe and eat and drink and hope and love and long for God. We find Him in His Word. And there alone do we find Him. 
Peter quotes in verses 24 and 5, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, where the prophet says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. I might also say that Peter refers to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The psalmist likewise in Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Friends, I fear too often we're looking for some secret key to unlock all the mysteries of life, all the mysteries of God. We're looking for some super answer, what Peter calls a perishable seed that solves every problem and answers every question. We're trying to build a life, a home, a church, a culture, a country by tapping into some hidden power of God. Peter says the secret is no longer a secret. The path to a holy life, the path to a refined and pure soul, one that can and will stand before God, the eternal judge of the living and the dead, the one with the power, the only one with the power of heaven and hell in his word, the secret is found in his word. It's found in the Bible. Because in his word is where we find Jesus, the imperishable seed that causes us to be born again. The more our minds are made ready and sober, the more our obedience is towards God and not the ignorance of the world, the more our souls are aligned with the declaration of righteousness made over us when we were caused to be born again in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the more holy, the more like Christ we become. Beloved, the problem, I think, in our churches today, the problem with Christian families today, the problem with Christian institutions like schools and colleges and mission boards and denominations and so many others, the problem we face is that our souls are not purified by obedience to the pure truth of God's pure word. We listen to this world, we listen to false teachers, we listen to our evil hearts, and the more corruption we take in, the less pure we become. Brings the most effective, the only way we can be holy is to know the Holy One. And the only way we can know the Holy One is to know His Holy Word. One last mark of holiness I want, to think, I want us to think about this afternoon. It's found in the very last phrase of the chapter. It's the mark of pure gospel love. The last phrase says, This word is the good news that was preached to you. Good news. Good news. What is the good news? Is the good news that you can be whatever you want to be and God will bless it? 
is the good news that God loves everyone and really would never send anyone to hell. Is the good news, go to church, give money, don't do really bad things, and you'll be okay. Is the good news, you're finally away from your parents, and you can make your own life without any hindrances and without any judgment. Is that the good news? Is that the good news that we're called to preach, called to proclaim? I'm going to close this afternoon by attempting to share the good news. Another word for the good news, by the way, is the gospel. Here it is in a nutshell. And it always has to begin in the same place. And where it begins is God is holy. God is holy. And He created you to be holy. But you are not holy because you are a sinner. And being an unholy sinner means that we are eternally separated from the holiness of God. However, the holiness of God in the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, He put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and He lived a pure and holy life. Then he died, taking our sin on himself. He died in our place. The holy for the unholy. That the debt of sin paid, he was buried, and then he rose again. Defeating sin, defeating death, defeating hell, and defeating unholiness on our behalf. That is the good news. Jesus died for our sins and rose for our salvation. And now we, as unholy as we are, we are called to respond to that good news by repenting of sin. That is, turning away from all the former ignorance of our dead life and believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. This is setting our prepared and sober minds on the hope of the grace of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. This is obeying God as His <clears throat> dear children in a world that despises Him and us. This is 
purifying our souls, saturated in the eternal truth of God's Word. And this is embracing and proclaiming from a pure love for all God's image bearers that the good news to the world is that Jesus died and Jesus rose and they can hear that and repent. I remind you of Peter's summation that he mentioned a few verses earlier in 17 to 21. You call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourself with fear throughout your time in exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who, through him, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. <coughs> Friends, holy living is living in Jesus. It's living a ransomed life with our hopes set on eternity. I pray you know the good news of Jesus. I pray you believe. I pray you really, really believe the good news of Jesus. I pray our lives and our church displays the holiness of Christ in preparing our minds for a sober hope in eternity. I pray that we are obeying God as His born-again children. I pray we are purifying our lives in the Holy Spirit-inspired Holy Word of the Holy God. And finally, I pray that we are continually loving one another earnestly from a pure heart to preach the pure gospel to all nations. <clears throat> I'm going to close today with Psalm 130. Psalm 130. If you open up your Bible and you find it, you can see a little heading there. It says Psalm, Psalms of Ascent. <clears throat> There's a series of Psalms there that the Jewish people would sing, pray as they journeyed up to Jerusalem every year for Passover or for other festivals. This is one of those songs that they would sing as they journeyed. And I, I, I hope today, I pray today that this is our longing plea to the Lord. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, 
should mark iniquities. Oh Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Father, this afternoon we recognize the challenge of living a holy life. We recognize the challenge of maintaining a pure, a sober, and prepared mind. So often we are distracted from where you are taking us, which is eternity, that we get sidetracked. We recognize the temptation to obey our ignorant past, our past that you have redeemed, rather than imitating God as his dear children. Father, we recognize that the purity of our souls is always at stake as we turn on a TV, a computer, read a book, talk with someone, listen to a video, just hundreds of ways. So I would pray that you would purify our souls, that we would be discerning and wise. Father, I pray that we would know, live, and join the chorus of proclaimers of the good news that Jesus died for our sin and rose for our salvation. Father, if there's one who hears me that does not know you, I pray that today is the day they hear your call in their life and they come to know you. That they would repent and they would believe. And today would be the day that the old is passed away and all becomes new. I pray for all of us, whether we become a Christian today or we've been Christian for decades. I pray that for all of us, you would renew a spirit of holiness. We would strive to live in a way that is pleasing to you. Continue to walk with us as we worship through song, as we worship through truth and doctrine, as we worship through gathering around the table for communion. May everything we do be an act of holiness before you. And may everything you do call us closer to you and know you better. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name.